0: Well, hello there and welcome to a new episode of Back to Basics. Today, I'm super excited. I have uh, an amazing guest for you. And it's really part of that idea that started with Jane Barron and having a tap series. I have Marsha Bateson here with me. And I mean, she is an amazing amazing person, but she also has so much wisdom and experience. She has close to three decades of experience in strategic leadership and managerial roles for corporation and nonprofit organizations. She has uh, worked with top organizations, Fortune 50 financial firms. She also advises on strategy, organizational redesign, business, financial solutions. I mean, all major issues and guides toward risk mitigated implementation. She's a former CFO for J.P. Morgan Partners. I mean, she has an amazing curriculum and I could keep talking. So I'm going to try to cut to the chase. But she also serves on multiple boards, including the Holton Arms School. And uh, she is someone that when I met her and she said that one plus one not necessarily add to two, but it's three or four. And I say, OK, I definitely have to have <laughs> her on the podcast. Say hello, Martian, and welcome to Back to Basics.
1: Good morning, Leticia. It's great to be with you. Really fun.
0: Well, I, I'm excited and uh you know, because uh when I decided to do this podcast, I decided because of inspiring conversations I had with people and, and those inspiring conversations uh, we're not only about you know life and goals and dreams, but also about how how can you be successful and stay connected to things that make you tick and that you're passionate about, while at the same time fulfilling you know other uh, life goals and, and dreams that people have. So of course, when I talk to you, I have to admit you are among one of the few people I met uh, in my we met through professional interaction, but uh, you know I definitely think I going to learn a lot from you. But you said something on our first conversation about, you know, we have to do good for the world. We have to make the world a better place. And I love that because we don't have a lot of that, uh, of those conversations with that angle. So before we jump into your journey, I just want you to briefly say something about that, that approach you have to life.
1: Sure. I think it really comes from um, my family background, but I am uh, a child of a military family um, and the United States Air Force gave my, people always say father, but it was really my parents and our entire family, if you will, an, an opportunity to take part in this American dream. So, you know, our whole life uh, was about serving our family, my father serving our nation having been given the opportunity for an education, a master's degree, traveling the world, um, moving 64 times in their
0: Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Well, that's great. Because this is really how the interview normally starts with your background. So I'm, I'm happy that, you know, it almost brings it full circle really quick. But uh, so you're originally, Where were you born, and where, where, where was? I was born in Paris, France. Oh my um, God! <laughs> when uh,
1: my parents were stationed over there to uh, in 1957 to rebuild Europe after the war. Wow, that's you know,
0: that's amazing. And, and and in which um I don't say I don't. This is a, what part of the military or, or was your yeah.
1: My father was uh, uh, joined the uh, at that the, what is now the United States Air Force. Okay. Um, at that point, it was a part of the Army. It was the Army Air Corps, I believe. And he joined when he was 17, uh, lied about his age, <laughs> <laughs> and was sent over to England where he became a bombardier and completed 29 missions over Nazi Germany wow in terms of bombing raids and stuff so
0: oh my god that that sounds so, like a, an episode <laughs> on itself i'm going to have to have you over and just have an episode on that that was uh something
1: so so the idea that um to this dirt farmer uh which is what my father's father was america gave him an, an education and gave him opportunity to serve our nation and um so that just is kind of you know been the pulse of 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 my life in terms of having had the opportunity to to be educated to make the world a little bit better for me and my family you know is is what are the things that i can do to uh give back a little bit um to our nation and to give other people the opportunity to um, to to have a part of the american American dream, so
0: wow, well, that's sounds um, you know that's i I guess I have to uh, to thank uh your dad my family was unfortunately on the other side of the spectrum, not my family, but my parents' country Italy was on on the wrong side of history on that one <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my dad being Sicilian, he remembers he is from the town where the invasion came into yeah. Italy so he remembers uh he was he was born in nineteen thirty four so uh-huh. he remembers very well the invasion and, uh, you know, the feeling of, you know, because these are country people that they knew they, their country was on the wrong side of history. So they were so happy, you know, to see the Americans and, you know, the, all the allied forces coming in. And it's just amazing, amazing what, uh, different perspective that gives to you. And, and I think that's why then eventually my dad also left Italy. Like he could not. During that time, um, feel you know at home. So that that yeah. that's amazing. So now your mom, I, I guess, mm-hmm. if he joined at seventeen, at some point, is she American or she's uh... <laughs> <laughs> no?
1: <laughs> that's funny. They they were the same age, and um, my mother was dated my father. They were high school sweethearts. Oh, and and um, he came home. I think when he was twenty one, on a two week leave. My mother was um, being um, at a radio station and selling war bonds. You know, everybody was in, involved in it at that time. Anyways, he came home on a two-week leave, participated in a poker game to win enough money to buy an engagement ring. Oh, wow. Um, so, <laughs> the story I love goes. it. I love <laughs> and, it. Uh, and went over to the beauty parlor where my mother was getting her hair perm. And uh, got down on both knees and proposed. Oh my God! And I hope
0: I hope they were done with her hair by the time he did this, <laughs> thinking on her perspective. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, and,
1: and it was a you know it was a wartime wedding, so less than uh, ten days later, they were um, married in Santa Barbara, California.
0: Wow! And you know, and that's why I ask these things. And I mean, I know there's so much we have to talk about, but you know, things were so different then. And, and, you know, and then I'm sure they had, you know, uh, as any marriage challenges, I don't know if were they, sure. they, yeah. they lived, they were married forever, like they stayed they together, you see, and th- these are the stories that I love, uh, because these days we date for years and years, people <laughs> live together before they get married. And then they still, we don't make it. And, and I think that proves that there's something else. It's not about, yeah. you know, how well you know each other. It's about how much you commit to the idea. I think, of course, there's circumstances and other things. But in spirit, that generation, because I have tons of stories like that. My aunt, she, she met the, her husband twice before she married him by power of attorney because he was already in Venezuela and she went by ship to Venezuela to meet oh, wow. him. By the third or fourth time she saw that she had seen him. She was already married to the guy living in a different country where she didn't know the language and they were married forever. And, uh, and it makes me think a lot, you know, uh, about, you know, as a married woman, it's like, okay, these people really went through a lot. I agree. Moving 64 times. I mean, your mom also sounds like very special person. (laughs) It's,
1: it's really amazing. And I too have thought about, you know, the difference, um, between that generation and and as I see my now adult children sort of moving into marriage, um, our daughter's was supposed to be married last September, but is now planning. You know, we'll see to ah. be married um, this September. But I think about you know the choices they make and the. I also I also kind of feel that sometimes today, you know, um, for these young people to have the courage. And confidence to make a commitment for a lifelong, when the world is so is spinning at, at a you know at a pace we just we can't even believe we can't get a grounding on it sometimes, but you know then you sort of think about it and as you say you know the the experience uh, that my parents had or your aunt or your parents had you know, as young people the world was was equally as confounding you know, yeah. not more so so it's not I don't know what the ingredient is but yeah. um
0: no me neither that's why I always ask I'm like do you know it's <laughs> share it with me. But in any case, so it sounds like you move a lot around as a young woman.
1: We did. We did. Um we moved a great deal and um I was actually so Paris France a fair amount of time in the Washington DC area. As my father worked at the Defense Department of Pentagon and then the White House and and then um I think a a seminal experience for me was when, uh, we were, uh, transferred in 1968 to Hickam Air Force Base in Honolulu, Hawaii. It's, it's oh, directly wow. ad- adjacent to Pearl Harbor. That, um, was of course the height of the Vietnam War and that's why we were being transferred over there so that, um, my father could take care of the communications, telecommunications for the, um, For the armed services, but there's uh, that was an opportunity for me as a 11 year old white girl to go into a community um, in Hawaii, which is you know a melting pot or poly pot of all different races, ethnic's you know Hawaiian, uh, sort of Caucasian. Asian, Japanese, Chinese, Korean, Portuguese, uh, Italian, Brazilian, German. And at that point, I wanted to participate in this sort of May Day parade that they, you know, sort of a dance and singing festival. And in order to be able to, to, to be in the, in the show, you had to be part Hawaiian. And so I was discriminated against <laughs> um, uh-huh. because uh, because I was uh, Caucasian. Hmm. That was a I didn't know it at the time, but that was a teeny little instance of under of beginning to feel what it's like to be on the outside and, mm-hmm. and not in, not entitled to to all of the inside things.
0: Wow! Yeah, things you take for granted, right?
1: Yeah, really. You know that that was an absolute seminal experience. As I look back on it now, I think the other thing that moving around does for young people is that um, you know when you're 11, what do you need to sort of get through the days? Well, you need food and oxygen, but you need friends. You know, mm-hmm. you need a friend. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> you need a friend to you know. So I think you get better, or you get some experience at sort of. Seeing the community, seeing your classroom, your grade, whatever in the school and observing and sort of figuring out how you can how you can fi- how you can make a friend.
0: Uh, that's such an important point. You know, my husband is Dutch and his family moved a lot, not so much as yours. But <laughs> as you know, as adults, I have I was I went to the same high school for 17 years. I live in the same <laughs> home for 22 like my parents, once they settled, they, you know, they created like very stable environment. And he came from something very different. Like he lived in, he went to Venezuela when he was 15. And in my same city, he moved like eight times. So I say, you have moved more <laughs> times around my own city than me. And he told me once something that resonated that goes along what you're saying. is like, I say, you don't have like long life friends. Like he ha- he has people he's known for a long time, but not those friends that you can talk to after five years have passed. And it feels like, you know, you, uh-huh. you saw each other yesterday. And he said, well, I moved so much that I learned that maybe wasn't that savvy to invest in friendships uh-huh. because that was <laughs> a lost investment because then I was going to move. And then, and then that's it, you know? And that was an approach that I had never thought of. I can see it. And sometimes I feel, you know, I I just feel sad that there's really people that have to. <laughs> oh, you find a friend, and now you have to move again, and then you have to start all over again.
1: Yeah, I'm familiar with it. And it's a, I think it's a little bit of a survival technique because you know, moving to a place you know for two years, people at my kids at my school were totally attuned to the fact that the military kid was going to come in, and in a year or two or three she or he would be gone because their family would be transferred. So I think it's a little bit of a survival technique that, that you do for yourself to protect yourself. You yes,
0: yes, 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 uh, absolutely. And yeah, and th- that's the perspective you're talking about, like how you different experiences but bring different ex- you know, perspectives to the same thing. Yeah, and, uh, exactly. And, and so, wow. Uh, but you, you did, uh, re- I'm sure you retained some of those friendships because I just can yeah. see you <laughs> being the, the relationship person. I think
1: that's. Um, I agree with that, and you know, I think it goes back a little bit to something my my mother uh, said to me when I was uh, thirteen, and we were we were moved, we were leaving Hawaii after two and a half years to return to Washington D.C. And I s- said, you know, Mom, I you know, I like it so much here. I get to go to school barefoot. I get to go surfing after, mm-hmm. after yeah. school every day. I've got I do have really nice friends and you know, Hawaii is uh, you know, very, very you know, it's it's a it's a it's a more soulful, heartful community. Um and uh I said, I really don't want to go. Maybe I could stay here and go to school and you and everybody else could move back. And she said, Well, you know, Marcy, I have found moving around a lot that friends or people are a little bit like waves on a beach, you know, sort of they come in and part of your life. You're, you're with them a lot, you know, for, for reasons, because you're in the same city or something. And then they kind of recede, but then, you know, lo and behold, they, you know, you, you, you're transferred to the same place. You end up in the same circle uh, again. And, and that, and that really happens. So when I, so we left Hawaii and then I went back to Washington and then I went to Vassar and lo and behold, I get to Vassar and one of my classmates from Hawaii was there in my class. Oh, and wow. That's and great. then, and then, you know, you go through life and you, you put our, we enrolled our, our children here in a, a school in Manhattan. And lo and behold, I look across the kindergarten parents body and there's another friend who, who from oh, wow. Hawaii whose daughter is in my daughter's class at, at this Manhattan school. So
0: that's great. I think that was great <laughs> advice on your mom's side. You know, I think that impermanence kind of feeling that it's not necessarily a bad thing. I don't know. Sometimes I think we we hold on to things not wanting yeah. to change things. And maybe that's not a great approach. And I love that, that <laughs> advice that you're, I'm going to steal that one because I, I, I think it's, it's true. It's a great uh, analogy. Definitely. And, uh, and so, well, and so you went to, to Vassar, which obviously is, is, is a great school. Did you dream about being something like, was there something already you were passionate about those years, uh, that, that yeah. you visualize as growing up? You know,
1: I, I have to say uh, this is this is the sort of the not romantic part. But what I was intent upon doing at Vassar was creating options for myself. Um, you know, when when I was growing up, there were four of us on a military salary, so you know, money was always tight, and and uh, my parents were were of a value set that they didn't want to ask for financial aid for private school or anything like that although we all went to private school so when i was at vassar you know i thought to myself what am i how can i you know have this education to position myself to be able to get a good job and and you know and make enough money so that i can have a more of a comfortable life and not not so sort of hard scrabble. You know, so that was, you know, that was that was absolutely real. I didn't know that I was going to be interested in banking and finance, but when I got out it seemed like all the banks wanted women who, you know, to work for them who looked like either their sister, their wife or their mother. <laughs> um so um, so you know that that's what put me into working you know being accepted to the training program JP Morgan and and working there for uh for a while it wasn't a you know my my daughter is becoming a veterinarian and um you know that has been her life dream it is her passion frankly i think it's all she she could do because you know she just had to do it at that point in life, my goal was to be able to get a job, to make enough money, to to not have to worry about it. Yeah,
0: yeah. well, but, the, you know, I think I, talk, I I said this also on Jane's episode when I had the chat with her, and I think it's, it resonates with people listening to the podcast because, you know, we sometimes think that we have to visualize the full journey and what we're going to be and this is, you know, and project. And especially as a mom, I try to be very aware of that. Like, I don't want to put something in their plate when they say, oh, some parents say you're going to be this and you're going to be that. And and so they plant yeah. that seed and then the kids don't feel the, that their life is flexible enough to change. And I love the fact that you're, Kind of aware that, yeah, I got into that because it was kind of, you know, it was not the non romantic approach, (laughs) as you say. It's like, I wanted a job, I wanted, but you know what you wanted. And then how you got there was not the defining factor. And then you could adapt to other things through life. And as I I know, because I know a little bit of (laughs) what you did later, but I think that's great. That's great that, that you were not committed or married to one vision because then that's where people have problems switching or or pivoting into something that maybe they're more passionate about.
1: Yeah, I I agree with that. I I do. And I was talking this morning with, with uh, somebody at the school that I'm on the board of Houghton Arms and we are pushing, we are infusing into every nook and cranny of the school, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion. And we were, Not to go down that path too much, but we were, what we were saying is the hardest part about starting is just starting.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. Yeah. In anything in life is the first time you, yeah, doing one thing. And that's why a lot of people say, just start with something small, right? Like one small step that's already getting you somewhere.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, I love that.
0: I love that. And I know you took and and you know I mean you had a, a very uh, successful career in corporate and and of course there's a lot a lot and I know your time is valuable but I I want to go and you mentioned about diversity and inclusion and I know you're a big advocate for that and um I mean you um seated the women in power for good event series at Altern Arms and and you and for 2019 right that's when you launched yeah. that that's and, yeah. and you you were able to get uh christine lagarde to to yep. inaugurate it right that's so <laughs> impressive <laughs> i think she did like uh she was there for a year or something she she, she in Halton yeah. arms at some point yeah
1: no she um uh, she was a classmate of mine she came for her senior year from france to washington on a i think it was American a, a Ameri- f s it was a it was a you know foreign exchange that's great uh students and um So, yeah, but the, uh, and she was, um, what we did at the Women in Power Summit, it kind of came out, uh, what was, uh, we said, okay, well, it kind of came out of a a book that my daughter gave me and that I know I I gave to you, Yes, and I enjoyed (laughs) it
0: very much, yes.
1: (laughs) I know you read, it's called Women in Power by Mary Baird. But I kind of realized as, as I read that book that I, was pretty calm in terms of where I was in life, in terms of I have a, you know, I'm very fortunate I have, you know, a solid marriage. I'm on good friendships with my siblings, feel comfortable professionally, academically, financially, socially, whatever. But I realized that I have never been very good at, at acquiring power um, and exercising power. And um, I felt deficient at that. And I realized that I probably had never, been taught or maybe, or even encouraged to acquire power and maybe had been discouraged uh, explicitly or implicitly from, from that. So I thought, boy, we, we gotta, you know, we can't let that, you know, we, we're not going to make the world look like more we want it to be unless we, you know, know how to exercise and uh, extend our power and use it to, to do good, to make the world a little better and stuff. So the way the Women in Power Summit worked was we invited 35 alumni from Holton Arms to the school for a day to participate in large forum and then several small conversations with the upper school students about their their journey toward acquiring and exercising power for good. And, um, and the keynote conversation was with Christine. And between Christine and the head of school, they so funny. I'll never forget one of the things she said. She said, "You know, if if elected to lead the IMF, I will bring all of my skills as a regulator, a financier, a lawyer, and a woman mm-hmm. to the job." And um, it was so interesting that she just brought that right into the into the conversation.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I love it, and it takes courage because sometimes. <laughs> I totally resonate with what you're saying. And uh, being in, a, in an industry that is male-dominated, has yeah. been male-dominated forever. And, and so there's a balance there where you know you're liked. And, I, and I, in, a, in, a, in the book I co-wrote, I wrote something that I realize is not about being one of the boys. It's about being part of the team. So mm-hmm. for, for a long time, I s- strive to become part of the team, to, see- to, to make them forget that I'm a woman. Yeah. And it took me a long time. And uh, you know, to the point where they forgot. Sometimes, <laughs> to, 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 to strange situations, they forgot that I was a woman. But um, always in good spirits. And uh, but I'm with you in the sense that I always felt that I still have. Like I don't know. It's not in the word is not inferior. I and mean, in one of the re- for the research I was doing for this interview, I read one of your bios. I don't know if it was put when you receive an, an award there at Holton Arms, you were recognized. And and I read something that says she was never asked to get coffee and yet she was never asked to lead the, disc- the the decision discussion. And I think that point is so interesting that I wanted to ask you about that and how that feel and that thought, because it's a very powerful thought. Yeah, I agree
1: with, with it very much. And um, I think for women uh, of my generation, you know, we sort of got ourselves invited into the JP Morgan or the, you know, the tele- telecom club. And we, we got ourselves into the door and we, if you will, got in the room. I'm not sure we were at the table, but we got in the room. And I think, frankly, there was a sense of, okay, we're here. And there was this kind of relief <laughs> and then sort of a, and, and a relief that we weren't being asked to get coffee and sort of a tenuousness about our position in that room. And, you know, are they really going to let me stay here? Mm-hmm. You know, and, um, so, you know, what I think happened or what I know I did is I didn't rock the boat. You know, I was so grateful to, to be in the room. That I wanted to secure my position and remain there. So, and I knew the way to, I knew a way to get expelled from the room was to rock the boat, was to ask hard questions or challenge. Well,
0: but you know, I have to say, as, uh, and I'm not a different, I'm like in between your generation and next generation. So I'm like stuck in there where I can see a lot of your, what you're saying. And I know it's not the experience of the generation, one generation back. But I have to say thank you because that recognition that women like you had at that time, had you rocked the boat, maybe you would have even delayed even further where we're going down this path. Because then men, let's say, they would have felt more intimidated. And then they would have said, no, 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 let's keep them at bay as much as we can. And because be- women like you had the courage and the discipline and even the humbleness to say, I could rock the boat if I wanted to. But mm-hmm. let me just be be happy that I'm part of the conversation. And that's mm-hmm. how you know now we have a, a woman vice president, probably uh-huh. thanks mm-hmm. to women like you that allow us to be in the room and then bit by bit we started rocking the boat one step at a time. And, and then until I think we're getting closer, although apparently statistically we are <laughs> hundreds of years away from complete equality, but, uh, I think, I, I thank you because I do see and recognize the the sacrifice that, that women like you made at, at, at a point.
1: Yeah. And, and we, we, of course, our generation, you know, stood on the shoulders, uh, with, uh, uh, of the of the women before us you know the 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 mentors be, before us i will say that you know i i am so optimistic for the future of let's just call it um having all organizations be truly representative of our wonderful nation i'm really optimistic about that and when i look to this uh, you know my my children and i see the way my Twenty-nine-year-old daughter now does not let any grass grow under the feet of her fiance. <laughs> it is, it is just—it's—it's—it uh, really gives me, you know, optimism and hope that um, we can make more perfect our political and business and social culture. Um,
0: I I totally agree. I totally yeah. agree, and I feel the same way. I don't know if you would agree, I come, my mom is Sicilian, right? So he's very traditional in the role of the woman in the house and my father too. But I always admire the fact that my father enabled us and, you know, I came to the States yeah. to do my MBA. So he never, like, it's, it's strange Because I come from a family where it's very traditional and the roles were very defined. And my father, is also very, you know, like you are the woman. There are some things you should do. Like my father, if he saw my husband cooking, he would be uncomfortable by that. You know, it's not like he would. It's like he struggles because he's also sandwiched in those mentalities where this is what it should be. And now this is what it is. So I know sometimes he struggles with how we, you know, are living but at the same time, I'm also grateful that a he empowered me and empowered me and my sister to be uh, to reach our full potential. So he overcame those those um, uh, judgment societal uh, labels. But also, I have to say, I'm very grateful for the example my mother gave me because I'm at home and when I do those womanly things, I do it because I want to. And I uh-huh. I, I love to cook for my family. I love I clean my house. I kind of do those things that my mom taught me and I don't take it as a lesser thing. I take it as, you know, yes, in the world of the woman, we are nurturers. And I see that as part of nurturing my family.
1: That's that's so well said. And I, I completely agree, you know, in the lessons and the examples that each of our parents, you know, gave to us, you know, I mean, your mother, my mother as well took uh, joy and Pride in nurturing her family and creating an environment that was safe and calm.
0: And, yeah, you know, yeah, and and also because my fear as a woman is, I really feel we have the nurturing chip that men don't have. Absolutely. So in our struggle for equality, you know, my fear is that we also forget that and like we try uh-huh. to to we try to be equal at one level, but then we completely disregard that yeah. other level that, you know, men are not striving to be equal or, or they don't <laughs> even have the chip. They're not wired for those things. And yeah. so my biggest fear in my own life, it's like, I don't want to forget that I do mm-hmm. have certain things that came with being a woman that make the difference in the family, you know? And then I, I went to Catholic school and I remember one of the you know, the the, the nuns that led, you know, many years ago, she's a saint, Santa Teresa, fabulous. She said, the woman is the heart of the family. And Mm -hmm. I really see it like that. I I think in our wiring, we have something extra. So absolutely. I know what you mean about in the
1: striving to be, to, to realize your dream, to get the promotion, to run the company, whatever, you know, are you going to lose your essence, the heart of what it is to be a woman? I remember driving down a street in Chicago one day, and I saw this woman, must have been the 80s, she was dressed perfectly, high heels, nylons, the suit, she was carrying a little briefcase, and she stepped across and across, and, and she spoke, she, she strode very purposefully, and, and in a way, well, it was, to me it appeared brittle. And I thought to myself, am I becoming that woman? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I cannot become that. I'm, I'm scared. <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
0: exactly. And thank you for that. That's for me. So I always say I come across like a feminist, like I push diversity and I push all those things, but I can yeah. also don't want to forget. And I try for other women not to forget that we also have a special calling and the family, and the home, and creating a warm home for, for our families, I think, in, in a big way, it's 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 our job, also our responsibility.
1: I I, I entirely agree, and, and it's, you know, and it's fun. One of the things that I wonder about is, can we, if you will, um, and it's one of the reasons I'm so intrigued by, by the work that Jane is doing on the Acceleration Project, TAP, as we move further and further into the workforce, can we bring to the business community, the economy, the political system, can we bring to that our collaborative, nurturing uh, approach? And can it eclipse the sort of win-at-all-cost kind of uh, zero-sum game that you might say, as a male exists and dominates in the male business world. Can we bring all that we are as women into the workforce and change the composition, if you will, at the, at the molecular level um, or, or change the, the, the way, if you will, business is done?
0: Yeah, I think so. I, I really think so. That's why. And I think it's perfect that, that you mentioned, Jane, and the acceleration program, because that's part of why I wanted to get involved thanks to your to your invitation to join <laughs> and 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 try to to take you know the program to more places and, her, and help more uh, underserved small businesses uh because i do think that uh, she's on to something and that, yeah. that that you know there's qualities in that program that really bring up a lot of those uh, nurturing things that you that you were mentioning, so uh, why don't you th- th- share anything you want about the acceleration program yeah. and the work? I know you're passionate about that too yeah no
1: i I think it's uh it's great. I'm going to kind of preface it by saying that by drawing a distinction I've been on the board of a of a very prestigious not for profit here in in New York It's a hundred years old it's uh dominated by White man in the, in the construction and the engineering and real estate trade. And I've been sitting on the executive committee of that board for, I don't know, four or five years. And I realized that although I'm in the room and I'm at the table, I have to work to inject my voice into the conversation. I'm not invited. Into the conversation, I have to I have to poke to insert whatever I want to say, and whatever I say is not often echoed or built upon by other people around. Mm-hmm. It's kind of mm. kind yeah. of dies. Yeah, yeah. And it's 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 uh, it, to me is so interesting because I compare it to working uh, at TAP on the on the President's Council and the board there, where I feel that um, that our conversations um, at the executive level, committee level, or the president's council level are collaborative and inviting to every voice in the room. I and I um, and it's a very very big difference um, to me to the extent that I I've decided to roll off the prestigious one, mm-hmm. you know and put more energy and time and thinking into, you know, to tap and hold arms and, and others where, where there's an invitation to, to, to participate and engage.
0: Yeah. I, that's powerful. I think when we realize what we can achieve to, when you work with people that you like, that you enjoy, that have similar mindset, it's so invigorating. And you know, you can achieve way more and, than when you, as you say, you're yeah, you're sitting at the table, but is this enough? And and that's my whole thing with, with uh, you know, the diversity process that we're living as a vendor. I'm a vendor to big, big companies, uh such as Ericsson and T Mobile. And I mean and and I'm afraid that we are so early on in the, yeah, we want diversity, but they just want it in paper. Like they want more diverse companies to be registered, but then do they really want those diverse companies to be the one executing the work? And I don't think we are there yet. And it's. And and I feel, I, I know what you're saying because it's almost like they invited you to the party, but then, you know, it's like you don't get a drink or you're, you're like on your own and see what, okay, you're here, see what you want to do. Okay,
1: check that box. <laughs> see <Yeah>. you later. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, but that's kind of the, um, and yet, you know, women do have the collaborative nurturing, you know, let's all rise up. You know, sort of gene. You know, let's all go up together. I really think we we do, and I do feel that 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 skill or that trait is in demand by our nation and our planet more than any time, uh, maybe since World War II. I'm not sure. Anyway, so can we inject ourselves, our whole selves into into these you know into these platforms? I, I don't I don't think we have any choice but to try because Yeah, you know. and it's
0: exciting to try, <laughs> right?
1: Yeah. And uh, you know, giving half of yourself to an organization or because that's all they want, or that's all you're you feel comfortable giving, you feel safe giving. You know, at my age it's just not satisfying at all to
0: Oh, and that's great I, I think I think it's inspiring it's inspiring the work that you're doing and uh and uh you know I think you're already making a difference at least for what I've seen in tap uh mm-hmm. into bringing people together and, and creating something that can be special and that can really make a difference and in in my case i i welcome the invitation because like you i I feel like I've been fortunate and I'm, I'm doing a lot and I'm still trying to, to grow my company to, to where it needs to be. But I feel I can help more. Like even whatever I do, I help. I try to mentor young women and all that. But I think, wow, there's probably more that I could be doing. And, and this is like a great platform that, you know, yeah. does exactly that and puts a lot of, A powerful components like consultants people that are volunteering and we talk about it with jane we put the word out there because i think there's other people out there that have that same feeling that you know i could i could be doing more but they don't know where to go or who to ask and i think just by uh, augmenting you know the mission and the program to you know and outreaching i think that's already very valuable
1: yeah i i you know and and the way you know Kind of you know solve two problems at once, you know once there's this problem of retail small business women owned minority owned businesses were struggling you know with the internet sort of coming at them, so that's a problem. How do you help that? How do you help them? and yet, small businesses are of course the lifeblood of our communities, and then on the other hand, there's all these women uh if you will, who have had the benefit of of being trained you know, the top MBA schools are trained by American Express or or BCG or McKinsey or JP Morgan or however, you know, all of that talent and sort of looking, you know, and having stepped off of that for whatever reason to raise a family, to um, just, they got tired of, of the soul-crushing banker life or whatever, you know, and, and yet they have all this experience and perspective and talent How can we, what, what's a platform that I, that we can create to, um, give them an opportunity to, to exercise their, their skills? You know, and bringing the two together, you know, the consultants, you know, engaging with the small business owners. Wow. I mean, that's, to me, that's just kind of magic that Jane was able to, to launch that. And, you know, now to see it growing, you know, to California and, hopefully to Florida and Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh, et cetera. It's, it's really genius that she, that she did that.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. And um, I'm looking forward to 2021 and what, (laughs) you know, the, 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 the businesses it will help. And it's definitely a time where it's very needed given the circumstances. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. And so, Marsha, I always end with two things. One is I I give you an open microphone to to you know say anything about any other projects, any other things. I know now your your daughter is getting married, so that's <laughs> exciting in, in itself. It's anything else professionally or personally that you want to share on of all the good work you do also on the boards of of the schools. Yeah,
1: I am um, feel I am so worried about. Our nation at this moment. That I wish to uh, get through the the next 13 days. I do wish to, with a new administration, a new year, a new a newer awareness, to um, come together and build back our country, our nation, and do it better, and do it more with more fairness with more equity with more kindness and you know i'm kind of searching around for a way to be involved in that um so do you have any ideas i i i really am sort of trying to figure out how i can how i can participate in the in the rebuilding of a better america
0: we will be lucky, and just for for perspective, we're taping these just uh, two days after what happened in our capital. So we we at the very beginning <laughs> offline, we were just sharing those thoughts. By the time, hopefully, that this interview will air, we will have a a new president, and and you know, just to get our country uh, in a to a kinder spot. I think, regardless <laughs> of which side you're in, I think just the country needs more kindness and. We need to just start loving each other. And, uh, yeah. a, yes. And, and I totally see how someone like you would make such a difference, Marsha, because, uh, yeah, you don't have that many people. As I say, you don't have that many people with your background, with your track record, with your professional experience, with your worldview that is thinking kindness, that is thinking those, those kind of words. And, and I definitely think that's the shift we need. To make a difference, because the more people start using those words, I think the, re- mm. the more the ripple effect we create and, and people start coming to terms that, yes, it's not all about the money. It's not about all the success. It's not about any of that. And uh, so I think this is a perfect time for that.
1: Yeah. And, wow. and,
0: and with what you said, it kind of says always my last question, but it's like, what makes you tick? I think it, it, <laughs> all the conversation that we've had uh, has guided <laughs> us to, to service, you know. But is there anything when you feel down or when you feel a little bit sad, when you feel disconnected, is there any ritual things you do or places you go and you say, yes, this is, this is me, I'm home?
1: Yeah, I, I was thinking about that. Yes, um, I take
0: a walk with a friend okay.
1: and, and have, and you know, I get some exercise, but I, I find that a conversation with a friend, just like the one we've just had, um, I find it, and I'm, I'm choosing this word very carefully. I find that those conversations are fortifying. They nourish me and make me stronger, healthier, better, more empath em- empathetic, but I do find them fortifying.
0: Wow! Well, thanks for that because <laughs> you know I get goosebumps because the the whole point that this podcast exists is because of that because I feel exactly the same way through empowering conversations through inspiring conversations. Like every time I had a conversation like this before the podcast, I came home refreshed, renewed with yeah. something that I connected to that made me feel good. And, and that's that's really how I started this whole thing. And so, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And sometimes I because I'm so such a social person, right? That people joke with me because I have so many friends. And so sometimes my husband's like, you have too many friends. And and, and if it because you cannot be alone. And I say, I'm extremely happy when I'm alone. I can I can, you know, be alone. I took a month when I quit my job. At, well, when I was laid off, rather, in 2001, I left six months to France on my own. Nobody with me just me and myself, and I enjoyed it very much. So I can be with myself, but I say it's not about if I can be with myself, it's about what fortifies me, the world you said, what inspires me. And I have to say, talking to people and being social and, and powerful conversations do that for me. So yeah. I, I thank you for that. I don't feel alone in the world anymore. I know <laughs> I call Marsha and, and <laughs> we can have fortifying conversations.
1: <laughs> I, I look forward to the next one. I really do. Well, well, thank this you. has been so great thank you so very much for, thank yeah, you
0: so much for you. all you do for sharing your thoughts and I'm sure the audience really enjoyed these uh, all the notes from the work marsh is involved with uh, it will be in the show notes so make sure to check it out and uh, thank you and until the next episode of Back to Basics bye bye and until the next time